This is Comictating, the comic book review arm of the Nerdables family of podcasts. Let the nerds take over! Us? Huh? What's up, comic book fans? Welcome to a special episode of Comictating. This is our year-end-and-review show. Uh, Sebastian and I are joining you today to give you some of our picks of the year. Of course, we started the show back in May, June, May, May, last week of May. Uh, to do DC's Rebirth, which started this year, which of course is a big part of uh, the 2016 comic book landscape, and we'll be giving you our favorites from that uh, event. And then we've also got some trades, some ongoing series, stuff that came out in 2016 that we really loved, and that we hope you guys would love too. I'm going to start with Sebastian. His first pick is one of our Rebirth titles, and it is... Superman. Superman, Tomasi and Gleason. Why is Superman... One of your, we have five best picks, we do. and then we have a kind of a hey, no one's reading this sort of thing. You should go out and get it. Go so check, yeah. yeah, we've got to, we've got some check these out. Let's so read. one of the five: Superman, Tomasi and Gleason, Rebirth. Go. It is full of heart, and a good Superman story requires a good amount of heart. And now that Superman has officially a family, he's married to Lois Lane once again especially because they have come from the pre-New 52 universe, but in reality, the New 52 universe wasn't its own universe. It was somebody messing with time and history. But the book isn't as confusing as that either. But the book it is not as really confusing well. as that, and they haven't really gone into too much depth. They're saving the mystery, I'm sure, for the next big event, as it were, but solid all around. The characterizations are great, and Superman is a guy that, even though he's got the god powers, you should be able to relate to him. The interactions with him and his son, with Bruce Wayne, who is also a father, and essentially became a father before Superman ever did, which uh, is probably the most interesting dynamic that the two have, especially if you're a fan, that Batman's the one with the son first, before Superman, who, one of the most tragic aspects of Superman's life was always the consideration that, you know, the guy who wants to help everybody... You know, the alien from another world who, you know, from Kansas, you know, salt of the earth people. Uh, could he ever have a child? It was always one of the big questions. And if he couldn't, that's kind of sad. And they really big question for Brody and Mallrats, too. Yes. <laughs> Look it up, kids. Look it up. Look it up. But uh, I am. Oh, man, that's uh, just just a good book all around. Every single issue is either full of family fun, full of warmth and just characters that you really, really enjoy interacting. The story where they go to uh, to uh, Dinosaur Island from the New Frontier book is great. A great tribute issue to Darwin Cook. And just all around, I, I, I have not enough adjectives to describe how much I thoroughly enjoy that Superman series. It's definitely one of my favorites as well. It's been, I think, consistently, you and I have said every time an issue comes out, there hasn't been a clunker in the bunch uh, echoing most of your statements, a book about Superman. This is the Superman that I love. Stop trying to de-age him. Stop trying to make him hip. Right. Stop putting him in jeans and a little cape and going, oh, look, kids, he's fighting for Bernie Sanders. Yeah. I mean, they've done book. so much. I mean, I remember the time when they tried to make Superman a TV reporter. Yeah. And, again, that's such a glamorous profession that you couldn't really ever see Clark Kent engaging in as a very down-to-earth person. Through more than seven decades of development there are pieces that stick and you see it every single time. I think one of the great things with Superman here is it is a new dynamic in him having a family and not just, you know, the Superboy, the Connor Kent, like a real family, his yes. flesh and blood with Lois. And 
it brings something new to the table in a way new and fresh by going back to what made it not old but you know consistent and and kind of that kind of country feel to yeah. it of this is it's it's just it's a wholesome book but not in a bad way it's right. a book that uh for me I'm, I'm one that kids are very tough to write without being annoying yeah as as fornicate so to have a book where i really love jonathan kent his son yes and the issue it was like issue two or issue three where you see him not in control of his powers which becomes a theme in the book and yet the mistakes that he makes are greeted by lois and clark with both a head and a heart where it's you've got to do better but also we understand why you didn't Right. You know, we understand this is this is tough. This is we don't know where we're going. We don't know what we're doing. He's finding his way through this new world for him. So you have those elements where he's not on the pedestal, above the pedestal, everywhere, right. and yet he is because he is as powerful as anybody in the New Fifty Two. He right. has all that experience. He got back so much of what he lost in New Fifty Two. I I said from the start that I thought Clark lost more than anybody in the New Fifty Two. He did. He absolutely. So many did. years of making that character into that top of the line you know characters around him uh, morrison has a great jla one where he says ostensibly the martian manhunter should be is more powerful than superman he's got telepathic powers he has density right. powers and yet what is he missing well one you can stop him with a match but two he um he, the heart that determination that feel that just the the, the never say die never give up attitude that was something that was mi not missing in John's. I mean, uh, in the Martian Manhunter, he definitely had that as well. But it just the pure will of being was was the thing that kept Clark um, kind of head and heels above the other heroes that, you know, are in this pantheon of amazing superheroes. And I think this book brought a lot of that back. So Superman, definitely a book that could easily be on both of our lists it was on both of our lists and actually substituted out one so that we could get more titles in it, an interesting time the the mid the mid 2010s uh for comic books the uh, a very very bizarre push away from I, the wholesomeness is a bizarre word but uh the idea of family in comics spider-man lost his family with dc new 52 Everybody was basically put back to square one, you know, no, no husbands, no wives, not a lot of dating. Yeah, Wally West disappears. Wally West no disappears. Wally and, uh... Yeah. And his kids who yeah. were a huge part of and the even DC getting Barry legacy. back. Barry, Barry wasn't Barry and Iris. It was right. a big part of the first, uh, the first arc in new 52 was the fact that Barry and Iris weren't together. Right. Um, and I thought it was interesting because having those dynamics gave something, I think both to to both halves of the audience not only having superheroes who have families and you know it's like kids love the superheroes but as you grow older seeing superheroes have a life outside of superheroics doesn't need to be some some drudgery to write like no it was always fascinating you know wally west he had two kids with linda and then just to have that erased you know really really take something away from the idea that these people are relatable instead of just super heroics 24 hours unless you're batman if you're batman you can get away with being somebody well, who who doesn't actually have a life as bruce wayne because batman is well, the, the old the old antidote 
is that the true being of Superman is Clark yep. and the true being of Bruce Wayne is Batman. Bruce has to, Bruce has to be Bruce but wants to be Batman right. and Superman feels he has to be Superman but wants yeah. to be Clark. He doesn't want to be Superman but he feels the responsibility to it. Um Batman feels the need the to be Batman but he feels a responsibility to continue as Bruce yeah. Wayne. Um Bruce is the mask, Superman yeah. is the mask. And, and relatability I think is is one of those things that it's it's a buzz term that always drives me crazy because I don't want to relate to Superman. Sure. Because sure. Superman Superman has to make all the right choices. So one of the interesting things with Superman with me is he always has to make the right choice. Because if he doesn't, then every villain in the DC universe that wants him dead is right. Because if he doesn't make the right choice, we get injustice. We get the you know sure. injustice ground zero or injustice gods among us where he loses his 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 will to do the right thing, and he's the most dangerous being in the entire universe. Right. He has to make when presented with the tough choice. He has to make the right choice. Joe Casey's wonderful. What's so funny about Truth, Justice, and the American oh, it's Way? Great. That's all that book is about. And that's the book that reading that and reading it again and again. That's where I form my opinion. The idea of, I don't want to be related because if I had if I had Superman's powers, if I had Clark's powers, I wouldn't be good at all. Sure, I'm like yeah, okay, I can do whatever I want. This is awesome, right? And um, they even so I don't want to relate to him. I want him. Movie. I want him to be a better person. I yes. want him to be better than the rest of us. He should be better. And because that's become so it's so lame that he's better than us, he's such a Boy Scout, all that other crap, I'd rather, for me personally, I'm one of the ones that would rather look and see that true hero. Right. I don't need it with everybody. You know, I don't sure, need everybody sure. to be perfect. But Superman's like the one character. That, like, if you're going to make one character perfect, make it Superman. It's kind of yeah. like the, the Steve Rogers in the, in, in the Marvel Universe. Yes. Which, you know, is now an agent of HYDRA. For some reason, and then stuff happened. 2016, folks. Uh, but had that same thing for a long time, where he was always that straight and narrow. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the great things with Hickman's New Avengers, where you know he finds out what the Illuminati is going to do with this incursion, and sees like we're not doing this. There's no way. Ah, oh, strange. Erase is mine, and it's done. And then when he finds out towards the end of Hickman's run, you're like, oh. But that same thing where. He was always going to make the right choice. Yes. We have to find a different way other than blowing up a whole other planet yep. in order to save ourselves. God forbid Captain America or Superman want to help an old lady across the street every now and yeah, then. Yeah, that's, that's terrible. Sticking with the new 52, we're going to my, I guess my new 52 pick. We didn't do it specifically like that, but for me, along with Superman, I thought the gem of the new 52 was Detective Comics. James Tinney in the fourth... Uh, Eddie Barrows and Alvaro Martinez have done the bulk of the art for this book. I want to mention uh, in your Superman book, uh, um, Doug Menke doing some of the filling. Oh issues. my gosh, so and, uh, good! Yeah, he's a Patrick Gleason is definitely a a a student of the Menke way in a way. They, yep. Their styles are very sympathetic to one another, so it's awesome to have Menke do those oh, yeah. issues. They're fantastic. You almost don't notice the artists have changed, and yet you do. And you do, yeah. So, but it's a nice compliment. Uh, Detective Comics, sort of the same thing. Eddie Barrow started, Alvaro Martinez did uh, issues in between. Of course, these books are, are bi-weekly, so there's, but there's a lot of issues for this year, even though it was only six months ago or seven months ago. Yeah. We, we've seen 14 issues or so for each each book. The detective, for me, much like Superman getting back to those... I, I hate the term getting back to the basics because they overuse it in comics, but not necessarily basics, but getting back to the, the team-build Batman books that I love. In this case, we have Bruce Wayne going to Katie Kane, who's Batwoman, 
and building a bat team of characters. We have Stephanie Brown, we have uh, Tim Drake, uh, Cassandra Kane, Clayface oh, yeah. as a member of the team, and the dynamic between them has been fantastic. And one of the things that I think Tinian did very well is he has a very straightforward plot action story of this paramilitary group that is in Gotham up to no good and they have to stop them. But we also get all of the character beats as Katie and Bruce, Bruce has to tell Katie Kane, I can't do what you do because I'm just not, I'm, I'm Batman. They're never going to look at me. They're going to look at me as sort of the bad guy in a way. And that's what they need. They need someone on their side. That's you. We get Stephanie and Tim and their relationship. We get Cassandra Kane, the new 52 version of Cassandra Kane, as she's still kind of finding her way through. And of course we have Clayface who's a villain. Yes. Who wants to do something different. Right. Um, and this is this version of Clayface is very, very close to the animated series version. Yes. It's and the, a fantastically yep. complex... Everyone here has complexities because they're all given little moments. But you never have to devote an entire issue to one single person in order to get through what we get through. We see moments of infighting. We see moments of uh, pure teamwork. We see moments of heroism. We see moments of really bad decisions. Uh, Tim Drake's cycle is fantastic. They do a great job of what comics need to do when a character quote-unquote dies uh, that as fans you know that person's coming back but the people in universe have to believe it and so we see them dealing with it but we've also they're not stringing us along they show us immediately that Tim Drake has in fact survived and he is in the middle of nowhere and now we've got something to look forward to as at some point these characters that we've fallen for and are following in detective are going to go find him I, just an amazing book week after week or well, two weeks after two weeks after two weeks uh, month after month just hasn't disappointed yet I really really enjoy it so that's my pick for New 52 we've also got some picks through Marvel we do Sebastian saw a book that came out that has how late is the cage book how long has he been working about on that? a decade there we go it's about a decade so late now Genny Tartakovsky's cage, cage book one of the best uh, reintroductions to a classic version of a character in a very, very long time, especially at Marvel. Uh, I mean, and they've done stuff like that before. I would equate this book as something that's closer to the Daredevil Yellow, Spider-Man Blue, uh, Hulk Gray, and Captain America White, more so than just uh, a regular miniseries about a character who just happened to have a Netflix show. Genny Tartakovsky has been working on Cage as a comic book series for a very long time. And it's I imagine there's a little bit of push though. They're like, Hey, Gandy, come on. Let's, sure, let's sure. Can we if you're going to finish it, finish it in 2016. We've got to have that vertical integration here. Uh, and it's showbiz terms. Fantastic. Yes. It's, it's fun. It's lighthearted. It knows what to sort of parody of the seventies version of Luke Cage, but it also knows when to take itself seriously. And if you are aware of Gendy's work at uh, cartoon network, you know that he is more than capable of bringing a lot to the table, and he certainly does. The action is really well-paced. The art is absolutely beautiful. There is, uh, I believe it's in issue number two, they do this entire psychedelic page where he gets, uh, he's on the run from a very Dr. Moreau set of monsters, and he is hit by spores from these plants. Those would make amazing lithographs, just like single-page splashes, beautiful work, and that book just... Just all around fun. If you if you have an affinity for the '70s version of Luke Cage, or you've only found out about him through the Netflix series, if you want a taste of the classics, but without having to go back and sort of 
go through the 70s version of the books. Go back and go through the 70s. Go back and go through the 70s and read what 70s Marvel comics were like. As enjoyable as it is for me, for a modern audience, that might be very, very difficult. Uh, But I say check it out. You probably are going to do nothing but have a big grin on my face like I did just reading this book page after page, seeing classic Luke Cage villains come back and seeing Gendy's art style truly in comic yeah, book nobody form. has an art style like Gendy does. Uh, definitely uh, something that is very unique. Uh, also, the fact that Cage is set, quote-unquote, in a moment in the Marvel Universe as it refers a 1977 or 77, 8, or 1978 issue of Uncanny X-Men. Yes. Um, there's great cameos in it. He's fantastic. It is. It's it's tongue-in-cheek seriousness in a way it's like yeah. it takes itself so tongue-in-cheek but also so serious because like this is it this is this is it man this is let's go let's do yeah brilliant brilliant stuff cage ended up being one of my favorites too and i haven't had anybody who said that they feel you know oh it's it, it's it's anachronistic or whatever what's the word anachronistic and what if anachronistic there we go sebastian with the big words sticking with marvel uh a series that started in 2015 but really picked up the steam in 2016 12 issue maxi series tom king and gabriel walta's vision uh i'm not the only one who's going to say this if you listen to any comic book podcast i think in the year end you're going to hear this book uh, almost everywhere lots of critical praise a book about vision and really that's it vision starts a family and by starting a family he builds a family and this book has so much to do with not only family but existence uh, it has to do with what we do to protect our family. That in this case, Vision has literally created. Yes. Um, the choices that we make, not only from the patriarchy, but what the matriarch does to save the family, what the son does, what the daughter does. We've got great characters in it. Some of the best dialogue and discussions. The first issue alone. My experience with this book was: I read the first issue, and I said, "Well, okay, this is. I'm in. Let's do it." put it on my list and I didn't read it until the 12th issue came out. I read all 12 in a weekend and it's a brilliant book to take in that way. Um, it's very upbeat. It's very warm and fuzzy, always good. And Oh wait, no, it's none of that. Uh, it is a very tough book. It will, it will play with your heart. It will smash it in places, but it's a book that'll challenge you. It'll, it's a book that I think really challenges some of your perceptions of the way that we interact with people his relationship vision's relationship with his wife is so matter of fact because they're robots or synthesoids as they're continually given um but you're you you watch these interactions and the way that they deal with each other and realize yeah that's that's kind of what we do too we just don't really yeah the 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 nice to see you or, or or they're nice the 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 way that he dissects language is very good he also tells you in the first issue how everything ends right and if you read it it's just like there's some there's some deep foreshadowing in it uh definitely a book that is again going to be on top tens everywhere i can't imagine that it's not going to be in the end of the year awards eisner's and the like so vision uh a pretty easy book for uh for you to to to, to see that other people are going to love it just like we do. There are two trades out. The whole thing's yeah. collected. Tom King, of course, has moved to DC. He's writing Batman now. So it's it's also something that you don't have to keep going. It's a book that right yeah, now. it's fine. You can get all 12 issues. Uh, there's a middle issue with um, uh, Michael Walsh that does the art. Brilliant. Just an amazing, amazing book. Sebastian's pick, Dynamite's 
James Bond, specifically the Varger yeah. storyline. Jason or Jason Ellis, Warren Ellis, and Jason Masters. Sebastian is the Bond fan, the Bond king. Yes. So you, if he likes it, we know it's good. What about Warren Ellis's James Bond are you loving? It feels like the James Bond of the books. And for uh, the people out there who know only of the movie version of James Bond, it's very, very hard to say who's the closest to the book version of James Bond. They all have aspects of his personality, depending on the era. You know, uh, someone like Timothy Dalton has uh, the more ruthless attitude, uh, especially when you look at something like License to Kill, where he drops poor Benicio Del Toro into a rock crusher uh, out of spite. Uh, but then you also have, like, Daniel Craig. Benicio Del Toro can't be dead. He's doing Heineken commercials. He oh, wait, is. that's Antonio Banderas. Antonio Banderas! <laughs> I love those commercials so much. They're really weird. But I, I actually do. Fantastic. Not sponsored. Uh, not sponsored by Heineken. Yeah, if Heineken wants to send us some beer, both Sebastian and I don't drink. We don't drink. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but we'd be happy to take some pictures with us. With Coincidentally, also the official bond of the uh, the, the official, official beer. Oh, that's right. It is of the, Daniel Craig, <laughs> the Daniel uh, Craig James bond. bond, which started a firestorm of James Bond hate. Because James Bond doesn't really drink, no drink beer. <laughs> So he's not drinking beer in this book. That's what you love. Yes. This is a martini man in this book. It's uh, So yeah, different aspects of the personality have always sort of been introduced as uh, heavy alcoholism in one way or another. <laughs> uh, the ruthless attitude, the way his supporting cast is portrayed. But Warren Ellis is one of the few people that once, once they announced that Dynamite was going to be doing James Bond as a comic series, I was like, okay, are you going to get movies? Or are they going to do the books? Because through the comic history of James Bond, there has just been standalone stories over the years, some that have loosely tied into the book series, some that have just been direct adaptations or follow-ups to the movie versions. He's been he's been everywhere and in every sort of media. And once they said Warren Ellis, I immediately was relieved, and I didn't care which version of James Bond they picked. Warren Ellis is a fantastic crime writer all around, and just the idea that, okay, Bond of the books is coming in, Loose references to things that happen in the books. And in fact, we're getting uh, a James Robinson Felix Leiter series that takes place, I believe, after Live and Let Die in that book. He is attacked by a shark. <laughs> He's lowered into a shark tank and he loses his arm and his hand and a leg. And in the book series, he becomes a private detective. In this, I'm sure they're carrying over with that. They've got a picture of him with like a robot hand. But if you're looking for something that is sort of quintessential book Bond, and I think it's a book that's really, really close in spirit. They still publish James Bond books, but uh, story aside, it just feels like you can go from something like uh, like Goldfinger, the book, and then just go, hey, I'm going to check out uh, the James Bond Varger series. Thumbs up from me. Yeah, not, uh, not as big a Bond fan as you guys, but I do enjoy Bond, especially the kind of the later... Uh, the later movies, the, the Daniel Craig ones, so this definitely has that same sort of tone. Uh, there's a, I don't want to say brutality, but there is a, there's a grittiness to it. The fight scenes in uh, the Varger trade, uh, hardcover trade or whatever that, that came out have a, they've got some weight and some, some flack to them. You know, it's not super Kung Fu or whatever. You hit them with like a shovel or something like that. It, it's the a cinder block. One, cinder like block. Right in the yeah. first page yeah. just like so, drops a cinder block right on his back. There is, yeah, there is that kind of grittiness and that, that, uh, those pieces in it. So it's a book that I enjoyed a lot too. Warren Ellis is one of my favorite writers, so it was one I, I wasn't going to be disappointed in. Yeah, and what I think makes it really successful is that it just Warren Ellis's abilities 
as a writer makes it so that you could just change the names on that book and it would still be a very, very compelling story about a secret organization. It's got spies. It's got uh, the the uh, secret intelligence service for the British government. But that's how good I think he is, is that he could take a basic story that doesn't require the Bond trappings to just be good. Yeah, it has its, it has the pieces of it, but it doesn't... Yes. In a way, it's like it, it doesn't go too far. You right. Know, it, it's got just enough that you're like, okay, this is... This is a Bond book, but it also, again, like I said, it, it's got, um, I don't want to say, like, stripped down, but I guess that's sort of a word to it. I mean, it's just enough. Kids. It's kind of like the Daniel Craig stuff, the same thing, sure. where they just didn't go crazy with, like, driverless camouflage cars that fly into space. It was, your pen's going to do something weird, and your watch right. going to do something weird, but... You know, you're not going to be flying a, a subspace orbital platform that goes through trans-dimensional right, right. Ra- waves and stuff like that. So, definitely a, a, a fantastic book. Uh, again, so check it you. out if if you just like crime thrillers. I, I I say give it give it a go. Yeah, even even for me being an Ellis fan, I was surprised by how much I really like Fucker. Yeah. The first the first uh, the first. All right, uh, and, and it very much reminded me of when he did uh, GI Joe Resolute. Uh, Yes. taking the the G.I. Joe characters, specifically the animated versions of them, and modernizing them without making them overly cheesy. And that's, you know, that's you know, take it or leave it, depending on what you really, really like. But for James Bond specifically, he's a guy who knows what he's doing, and he's a huge Bond fan. So I remember in the old days on his website when he would he did a few blog posts about, like, what I would do if I ever got the chance to write James Bond. And then to see him sort of cultivate those ideas from a decade ago into a solid series makes me incredibly happy. So for me, another hardcover, um, something a little bit different, probably not a lot of fans have heard of. Uh, Titan Books published a book called Carthago, and I bought it off of previews off of a single image, which was a gigantic megalodon in a trench with this little diver in front of it. I thought that looks awesome, and the art looks good. And so I ordered it, and I'm like, God, I hope it's good. And it came, and it's really thick. The book is really thick, and I flipped through it, and I'm like, the art looks amazing. It's a, it's a hard to describe story because it takes place. It, it's almost like, uh, uh, um, all of a sudden I lost his like name. a not too distant future kind of thing. Well, there's pieces of, of that thing. Who am I thinking of? Oh my goodness, Scott Snyder's Wake yes, with Sean Murphy, yeah. where it takes place over different time periods. We it opens with, uh. A saber-toothed cat, not a tiger. No, they're not tigers. Saber-toothed cat running down early man in the frozen wastelands of the, the Ice Age. And as he stumbles, he finds this just graveyard of whale bones. And then we see a couple hundred or a thousand years before that this was a sea and these whales were getting just destroyed by this megalodon. But it also has, it's got some sci-fi elements in it to a certain degree. There's a mining company that goes through this so... The next few pages are just this group of miners trying in this trench. And so it's got the feel of, you know, this industrial techno thriller type deal. But also there's a gigantic shark with it. It is gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I, you, you showed me the book. And yeah, it's, it's a it's beautiful Christoph book. Beck, it's French. So it is translated Titan of, or not Titan, excuse me, it's Humanoids, which I think might be through Titan. I think it might be through Titan. I think but they do. Yeah, I think Titan Humanoids does book. Pr- Yeah, I think they do now. Humanoids through um, a book that I've had two other staff members get and I've sold three times. So uh, definitely something that if you're into something a little bit different, you want a book that looks gorgeous. If you're a fan of big sharks, sure. Uh, this is definitely a book for you. One of my favorites. 
Uh, and again, something that, that just happened to be a single image just popped that book through. And I just couldn't I couldn't turn it. I, I saw that piece and I'm like, I got to try this. And you can't really go wrong with humanoids. They bring over a lot of European publications and they're... And they bring over quality. Yeah, it's kind of like what yeah. Dark Horse used to do with, with, with manga. It's very curated. When, yeah, when, when Dark Horse was doing manga, you knew you were getting stuff that was really well tailored. It was well curated. It was well translated before the explosion where you got every company was just desperate to yeah. translate whatever they could and put it in bookstores. The early stuff from Dark Horse was always quality stuff. The same thing here with Titans and Humanoids. The stuff that they're bringing over, it's stuff they know audiences are going to enjoy. Carthago is definitely a great, uh, it's definitely a great book to, to seek out and find. Of course, available here or to Comics Northridge on the shelf. Of course, where we're recording. Uh, gotta throw that plug in there. Seamless. Seamless. It's good Sebastian, transition. one of your favorite stories of the year. One of my favorite stories of the year, definitely. Uh, and do not be fooled by the title. Uh, just because uh, Batman is in the title does not mean it is necessarily a Batman story. But it is about one of the most famous Batman writers. Uh, whether or not you know his name, he brought, uh, he brought Batman the Animated Series to life along with Bruce Timm and has been one of the top guys to do batman ever since it is dark knight n-i-g-h-t uh a true batman story about uh, paul dini's it's an autobiographical book about a part of paul dini's life though sort of his darkest times he is brutally beaten in a mugging and it is about his dealing with that happening to him through the lens of his fandom of batman and comic books and it's absolutely fascinating the cover it looks like a batman story it's got batman it's got the joker it's got a guy on the cover bandaged up beaten bloody and it's it, not only is that cover eye-catching but then you go into it and it's about him it's not really about batman it's not a batman detective story it's just Except about where it, it appeals in his subconscious as yes. a character he lives with yes as as deanie lives with batman as a character and lives with Batman's villains as a character, yes. as a prolific Batman creator, as Batman animated, uh, you know, quite possibly the most successful Batman media of all time. Yes. You know, definitely something that would live yeah, in his head. The, metaphorically living with those characters and how they did things in his daily life, things about like his relationships and the way his confidence was affected, you know, the humiliation of suffering, that kind of savagery on the streets. Uh, it's absolutely fascinating. And, uh, an interesting insight to somebody who you've probably read his work or seen it on TV and uh, will feel for him because he's he's especially in the comic book and animation industries big big name and much like James Robinson's Airboy one of the best books of yes. 2015 the autobiography is not I'm great and I'm wonderful and nobody yeah. understands oh, yeah. me he really beats himself up not to be punny but his literal assault puts him down a path where he has to, in a way, assault himself for what he's gone through since. And, you know, he reacts to it as, as I think anybody would. But at the same time, he's very honest with himself in terms of what this did to him. Yes. From every aspect, not just a physical aspect. I mean, he he was nearly killed. Yeah, yeah. He was nearly paralyzed, not paralyzed, uh, he, he would have never walked again because of his leg. He would never be able to use his leg. Uh, he When he details the assault in, in brutal detail, uh, Eduardo Rizzo of 100 Bullets fame 
is the artist for this and a perfect art for it because he uses a lot of black, a lot of shadow tone. The assault is is brutal to read. As you oh, realize, yeah. this is a real person. This isn't Batman beating up the Joker. Yeah. This is it's a real human. This is being. some thugs that are that are beating up somebody that who's been a creator of something that we love, and it opens your eyes to a lot of different pieces. He doesn't spare the the police that basically don't do anything yep. because yep. they can't. They're just sort of like, there's nothing we can do. What do, yeah. what do you want us to do? This is this, we're not coming running yeah, after these. Guys. It happened in the middle of the night. With no other witnesses, these yeah. guys are basically impossible. To it find. comes from uh, it comes out of his attempted relations with a woman, which are are again heartbreaking really heartbreaking for the and sobering, but also for him, where he oh, yeah. knew he was making a mistake, and you know he really he takes himself for to task for putting himself in that situation in the first place. Spoiler alert: He is happily married to a magician. He got to marry yeah. a real life Zatanna. So I... yeah. And that's uh, the, the the saving grace of the book is we, if you're a fan of Paul Dini, if you're a big fan of Paul Dini, you know he got through this. Yes. And not necessarily the better for it, but was able to get to a point completely opposite where he's happy in his career, he's a happily married man, he's in a wonderful place, but wanted to bring this story to light. I think maybe even because a lot of people were asking about it. Yes. Because people would know. And so... You know, we, we use the term brave and, and that sort of thing, but it is it does take a sort of self-bravery to put yourself out there in this right. case and to relive this. I mean, as long as he was working on this book, yeah, he has to, to relive this horrible right. event. So. That's, why, that's why this book, along with Airboy from James Robinson, James Robinson spared very little detail about his personal life that, like, not only made me rethink about him as, as a creator, but as a person, but also a lot of respect for him because he was very forthright with oh, yeah. the things he did in life. And despite the outward criticisms of people reading the book and not really understanding what was going on, it's someone those... who both loved James Robinson's work and hated John... James Robinson's yeah. book. It work. It was an amazing book to read because he kind of went through the same things I went through with like, you wrote Starman and golden age. And then you just crapped out on all these other books. Like where, where did this, and he takes himself to task for this again. This is, this is James Robinson's uh, Airboy, which is, in a different sense, it's it's brutally honest with itself, but it's also a hilarious book. Yeah, it is. That's way over the top, um, but also very. It, it's it's a self analysis that is that is on par. And again, Dini, same thing. He's really yeah. analyzing himself through this event and kind of talking about what happened to him in his life, and we talking to anybody else yeah. about what happens in your life, metaphorically or literally, when you are really just have the crap kicked out of you. Oh, yeah. And where do you go from there? And speaking of it, if, if, if any of what we've mentioned about both Airboy and Dark Knight intrigues you, another story that's in a similar vein is J. Michael Straczynski's Midnight Nation, uh, about sort of him telling this fictional story, but after having lived the life where all he ever did was walk. He didn't drive around anywhere. He would take trips at night, and he would watch how different the world became. And it was fascinating. Fascinating. And again... I feel like I read Midnight Nation, but that doesn't sound familiar. Maybe I didn't read it. I thought I did. Yeah, if you see the, we've sold it for a very long time. Yeah, I want to say. Store. I want to say. I think Laura. I, sent it. I think Laura sold it to me. I would. I would. I would. That's another sort of autobiographical book from a. Creator. Yeah, I think. Well, I think every every creator brings a little bit in there, but yeah, at the same time. Uh, next book for me: Manifest Destiny, Volume Three, Chiroptera and Carniformis Image Comics. It's uh, Chris Dingus and. Oh, goodness, I forgot the artist. I'm going to have Sebastian look up the artist real quick. Uh, Manifest Destiny is an ongoing book. I want to specifically talk about this third trade. It deals with the 
fictionalized account of Lewis and Clark uh, and their expedition through the American West as they've been tasked by the president to go to the West and not explore it, but to clear it out of all of its dangers so that good, hardworking white Americans can move uh, into uh, in, into these places. Matthew Roberts, that's what it was. Yeah, Matthew, Matthew Roberts doing the art. Uh, it's an ongoing from Image. It's one of those books that as Image continues to have these big name creators and these books that are uh, in some cases a little pretentious in my eyes <laughs> so they try to be bigger than what they are this is kind of a very it's a very straightforward plot story uh lewis and clark are one of them is a scientist the other one is a military man there's a group of military and there's a bunch of prisoners and the reason the prisoners are there is because they can die they're the fodder they're the fodder they're the fodder um, for the for the quite real mythical monsters yes, of the americas everywhere. and native americans and and um uh so the reason really this book sets up this creature this talking bird type creature that they befriend and they become a part of this tribe but it also has one of the darkest endings of any book you'll read uh it came out early in 2006 the bulk of the issues were 2015 but the trade came out in 2016 uh manifest destiny is one of the most consistent books from image which i absolutely love uh the art is always fantastic the writing is always fantastic uh, you, you'll you'll care about these characters and then bad things will happen to them. You'll care about the characters and good things will happen to them and you realize, oh, these good things are going to last. Uh, it's intriguing. It's mysterious. It's got a sense of just an old, pulpy oh, adventure, sure. but also a modern sensibility to it. Um, definitely a book that, you know, as, as we see stuff like, you know, of course, Saga and, and, and Goddamned and, and books from big name creators that are out there that are doing... Uh, you know, Paper Girls and Saga, the books that are fantastic as well. It's one of those that kind of fits in the middle where this is, the to me, the the, the backbone of what Image yeah. does. Manifest Destiny, Recommenders, Black Science, books that are consistently coming out, you know, eight books, you know, eight issues a year or whatever that are really, really good and don't attempt to be something that's going to change the face of comics, but also will change the face of comics because it's just really, really good. So volume three, I love something. Chira, 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 Chiroptera. Is it Chiroptera? And Carniformis uh, is one of my picks for 2016. Sebastian, a book that uh, is a part of something bigger, something we saw in previews and could not keep ourselves from ordering, which is Bart Kira. Bart Kira, if you are aware of both The Simpsons and Akira, is something that you'll probably enjoy quite greatly now. Uh, to preface this, the book we're going to be talking about is a beautiful hardcover book that is a, a short, short version of the Akira story done through the lens of Simpsons characters, uh, a fictionalized version of Neo Tokyo done as a different version of Springfield. It is absolutely fantastic. If you love Akira, if you love the Simpsons, I have nothing but high praise for it. But not only can you read this book, really really lovely tome of selected portions of the story that are put together to give you uh, like very much the akira uh, anime a short version of the akira story but you can go to bartkira.com and actually read the fully done version of akira with simpsons characters this is insane completely for free a volume five has recently been posted volume six is coming out i believe in 2017 they have a coming soon tag on it but you can read every single page of the original Akira story, but done as the characters 
from the world of The Simpsons. One of the fun things with it is seeing which characters they choose for which roles. Yes. So that's always fun. If you're a big Simpsons fan who's also a big Akira fan, it's always fun to kind of look and like, okay, who'd they pick to play this character? Who'd they pick to play this character? Um, it is, it's, it's one of those books that makes you chuckle at every turn because of that, excuse me, uh, because of that, that mashup ability, which doesn't, you know, like what, what mashup pieces do where you kind of chuckle at, oh, they, they use Bart for that and they use Milhouse for this because Milhouse plays the, uh, the, the Tetsuo character. Lazaro! Yeah. Oh, and, and that's the thing is I just wanted to be able to, so I, I did not butcher the name, but it's uh, Katsuhiro Otomo who did the original Akira story and he is the credited writer. It is all the same dialogue. It is all of the same essential visuals from the Akira book, but done with hundreds just, yeah. of artists. Some of them doing one page, some of them doing five, ten pages, but I... And there's great Simpsons gags in it too. The very oh, yes. first one, if you know Akira, is the the black ball explosion that turns Neo Tokyo into Neo Tokyo. <laughs> Moe's bar. <laughs> That's the little sign on it from the, the episode where they're showing the slide of Springfield exploding. Yes. And there's just like Moe's bar. Oh, God, no! <laughs> yes, one of my favorite Simpsons jokes for when the comet is going to hit Springfield. They, for some reason, decided to specifically point out the location where of Moe's bar. bar is. And then when the... they have the physical piece up and oh god no <laughs> yes so if you have a love for the simpsons and the original kira story this is the first shot i saw online and i could not stop laughing. it's amazing the simpsons gags themselves but the hard work done to oh, to transform akira into a a crazy alternate simpsons universe it's a, yeah. so yes please check out the hardcover book that it's, is it's a, yeah, it's a beautiful hardcover memento yes of, something bigger but it's definitely something that that you know it's very easy to sit down it's very easy to use it as a visual medium to tell other people about what it's about it's the physical and it's the only physical way uh, as of right now to get this version of the book because the the original cure story is six giant tomes of amazing manga but because of legal uh rigamaru you can read the full story online but as a beautiful keepsake to have a hardcover version uh, that is a selection of the story of Bart Kira. The hardcover is definitely the way to go, especially if you know somebody who loves The Simpsons or Akira. I don't think you can go wrong by at least checking out the hardcover, even as a gift. If you're gifting the Bart Kira hardcover, and in the book they're very clear about where you can go to read the full story, it's something that, even though I can read it for free, I bought the hardcover just because I needed it in my collection. Of us, many of us bought the hardcover. Uh, we sold out of that book the first week it came out, too. You and I have it. Our friend Shauna has it. One of the other staff members has it. So yeah. definitely an awesome book. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, it, it's And it's awesome because it's the story of Akira with, with Bart and Milhouse and Ralph Wiggum and Lisa and Superintendent Chalmers. Super Nintendo Chalmers. Super, I almost said Super Nintendo Chalmers. I had to correct myself. But no, it's... Have you seen the picture of the guy who drew or painted yeah, he Chalmers painted on the Super, Super Nintendo? Nintendo? I love that so much. Oh my god, yeah. As, as two massive Simpsons fans, we have a love for that book. <laughs> Seasons 1 through 12. Seasons 1 through 12. <laughs> asterisk. Asterisk. Uh, so DC last year... Uh, decided we're going to do Hanna-Barbera sh- stories. And yes. we're not going to do them in our kids' line. 
we're going to do them which as, they do for Scooby-Doo. which they do yeah they, they do they do the scooby-doo and the scooby-doo team up scooby-doo team up is one of an unheralded book that oh is an gosh. amazing book please check it out it is really well done if you're a scooby-doo fan from the original cartoons it's the same exact tone oh, yeah. when they oh, meet batman God. and so, robin so well there are done. great issues there's ones where they meet hawkman uh harley quinn is in a couple of issues uh, Green Lantern and stuff. Really, really good book. I own the trades for it. It's just it's it's a pick up and go through and oh, yeah. you chuckle the whole way. Yeah, it's usually one um, to two issues per yeah. character. So they've decided. So DC decided we're going to do Hanna Barbera, but we're going to do the the teen. We're going to do an adult, adult version. version. And we're going to do Scooby Apocalypse, which got a lot of fanfare because uh, Jim Lee was doing the designs for it. We had Wacky Raceland. It was just Wacky Mad Races, Max. Mad Max. Uh, we have a book that you're going to be talking yes. about in Future Quest and the Flintstones. And the Flintstones comes out, Mark Russell and Steve Pugh, and a book that I thought, this is going to be so dumb, and it is my favorite single new series of the year. It is stunningly good. Oh my gosh, yeah. It is, uh, Mark Russell does what the original TV series did in a funny way, which was poke fun at our modern family. Yeah. Our modern idea. Uh, of what family was and what it was the honeymooners. It was you the know, honeymooners. It was like the Flint- what America. We were talking about leave. the Flintstones. We were talking about the Flintstones, the original cartoon, and it was fun and it said some things about modern, but it was mostly tongue in cheek. Mark Russell takes it to be biting satire of yes, modern society. Of modern society, and it is a book that you will read and you will laugh like crazy, and at the end of go, oh my god, I'm a terrible person. It is absolutely incredible. The from the straightforward on the surface jokes, the puns. The, the stuff that he's the the right the, the the classic the, Flintstones fair. yeah the store names the the brand names that they show when Fred comes in in the second issue and there's a TV which of course originally was just two dinosaurs or whatever in the thing he has a real TV and he throws a rock at it. he's like, ah, no, and they're like no 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 the news is telling about this new thing about going out and buying stuff apparently it's called getting crap and that's the whole the whole thing and it becomes an obsession where Fred is working his ass off like crazy to give uh, to give Wilma enough pebbles or enough rocks to go clams. buy crap clams. clams at the at the mall uh, 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 pebbles and bam bam are teenagers yes very like totally this is all stupid if you but remember in, some of the but later super smart stuff. super super yeah. smart um, but the first issue we find out that uh, the Order of the Buffalo from the cartoon yes. is now replaced with the veterans of the Paleolithic Wars, in which you find out that Fred and Barney participated in the wholesale slaughter of, uh, of the, the Neanderthals, Neanderthals, who, in the issue, we have Neanderthals who are being brought to Mr. Slate's to basically work as slaves. To work at the quarry. To work at the quarry, but be, give them lower wages because they're foreigners. Um, Fred's dealing with PTSD. Barney's dealing with PTSD. As you go through the issues, uh, I think it's issue four. The Great Kazoo shows up. Great Kazoo shows up later with aliens and and spring breaking. The the issue where they have the flashbacks of what happens during the war. I'm not going to spoil it. It will kill you at the end. The asteroid that's coming to Earth to destroy everyone. It takes on religion. It It takes on gay marriage. And the flip side of... Marriage as an institution in the book is being attacked because everyone thinks, no, 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 polygamy is awesome. That's, right. This is the way things are. Why would we dare change it? And, of course, the two people getting married are two men. Right. So it's like, well, why can't we get married? 
Well, because marriage is stupid, not because they're gay, but because in in the case of this book, it's because marriage is stupid. Right. The idea, and it, it points out all of these these things that we take and some of the absurdity of it, but also being rip-roaringly funny. Yeah, it, do, it, it does what the original Flintstones did to but, another level. To an, but but to a to a modern level, it's literally they're like I, we joked before the podcast, but it's literally the the logical extension of the modern Stone Age family if. It was 2016, and things were yes. far more bizarre in real life yeah, than they were in fiction. Yeah, our life is so much more complicated. In terms of what even a, a, a mainstream, quote-unquote, or or a pop culture life in 2016 is so different than what it was when the Flintstones was on the right, air. In the, Flint, the Flintstones was satirical for the nuclear family, the upper middle class, yep. you know, 2.5 children in a community trying to get through your day. Working, home life, and yeah. and that's all it needed to be. The this bizarre is new attacking... things like like uh, having charge accounts at banks. Yeah, were this... heavy jokes. In yeah, the show. and this and the way they treat the um, the appliances because of course all the appliances are living. Oh yeah. Oh, it's so brutal. There, this is <laughs> yeah. <'cause> <laughs> second like, issue. There's only so when many he jokes. He returns can... the vacuum. Oh my god. Yeah. There's there's only so much you can do with the original Flintstones about a joke where essentially a pelican is your toilet. Yeah, and, and it goes, like, it's a living. Yeah. Here it's much yeah. darker, I don't... but in, it is absolutely brilliant. There is, there, I, I can't even really put into words. I don't know if exactly the creator loves the Flintstones or absolutely hates the Flintstones. I think he loves the Flintstones for what it did instead of going to take this right. and bring it to another level. Because what it did then, we can do now, but we have to do it to a completely different right, way. Right, because the world is different. Yeah, and, and it's, I, I, it's 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 so smart. It, in, it's in a good very way. very smart, and it's and, it's, and, it'll, that... and it's one of those things. You'll you'll the the marriage issue especially. I looked at it and really it makes you question you're like okay you know what yeah duh this is this is kind of weird you know what's what huh and then you also have the spring break episode where, where aliens come and have their spring break on earth right and just just mess up the whole place. right they just and shoot it's it they freaking just hilarious it's, it, and they treat it and it, yeah they just disintegrate people over yeah, they treat it like a quasi alien invasion story but it's not but really... it really but it is a, this this to me, the satire of this generation, it's like, we can do whatever we want. Right. Who cares? Spring break, bro. I'm drunk. I can do whatever right. I want. And I don't have to hunt. I, there's no consequences for it because I'm blasted out of my mind. I can do whatever I want. You can't tell me what to do. Right. I'm my own. I'm just being me. Real is real. And all that crap like that. And it's just, oh my God, it's really good. Total flip side of that. Right. Is Santa Barbara's Future Quest by is Jeff a, Parker. Is a deadly serious. With, with, with deadly, a, not deadly, with, but yeah. With a few kvats here and there. Uh, it, but it, takes, it, it takes itself seriously. It takes itself seriously. Uh, so Future Quest is sort of the the combination of the other Hanna-Barbera properties that everything else. Yeah. <laughs> essentially everything else, but in sort of the best ways, because it is space ghost. It is Johnny quest uh, characters like blue Falcon, stuff like that. But it's the idea Burn that, it. that Burn this one universe Thundar is in it. <laughs> yes. Thundar is in it. It's this one Herculoids, the Herculoids. It's everything else in the Hanna-Barbera catalog, but in, a shared reality, which Hanna-Barbera has sort of done and joked with in other series and stuff. But in this, the lens of the Quest family, you know, and and I will say this about the show, or at least or the comic books, that the Venture Brothers has already done the idea of the Hanna-Barbera characters living in a very much shared reality but with sort of a satire on the dreams of the Jedi Age future. Yeah. And what I love about the Venture Brothers the most is the idea of 
failure. What a failure the idea of the dreams of the Jedi Age became and the characters unless themselves. You're, unless you're the other venture. Unless you're, you're unless Jonas. you're Jonas Jr. And what the future quest does is it takes the quest family and it does the idea of the Jedi Age 60s with uh, with a very very realistic sensibility to it. It takes the idea that okay, we've got this bizarre technology. It's not trying to overly modernize it, but okay, we've got a family of explorers. We've got superheroes like Space Ghost and we've got Blue Falcon. We do have the bizarre underworld of the Herculoids. We, we have the the you have the classic Hydra, you know, yes. control uh uh what's the James Bond one that I'm thinking of? Spectre. Spectre type of, of evil organization. evil organization there's the secret spy organization on on the good side yeah. that people are a part of it starts yeah uses the quest as the lens as you get into this as these this dimensional stuff happens you know space ghost comes from another galaxy right. the herculoids come from another place as well it has a very throwback feel and it does, does it in a great it just takes itself we're just going it, this, yeah, it's, it's just, just a fun adventure story that is straightforward it's exactly what you would to me it's exactly what you would want it to be it's fantastic it does exactly story. the opposite of what the flintstones does which is to take the lens of something like the flintstones which was this innocent kind of fun thing and use it in a in a vein of really just putting the nails yeah, to just modern society where this is we took all these different properties and we're just having so much fun it's a, such right. a fun book in a way it almost does it succeeds in such a great way that idw's revolution which IDW's revolution to me, the, the mistake they made is to try to put it into the continuity that they already have. Yes. Which IDW's revolution is the attempt to take all the Hasbro properties and that make them one. That they're, and make them one within their their comic book universe, and it works to a certain degree, but it's it's hard to kind of shoehorn it in. If they would have started the way the Future Quest started. I think they would have had a little bit better, right. a little more luck with it. Um, yeah. This the not that it's completely terrible, but there are there's some misses, especially for me as being a GI Joe fan. It's like I want a GI Joe book that's just GI Joe. Right. I'm I'm fine if you have a GI Joe book that exists over here in a different place where the, the Transformers and Mask and Rom and the Micronauts are all in it. Great. Um, but it also I think it took itself a little too seriously as well because that's, part of it is also like how serious their Transformers books can be, but also how funny they are. Sure. And you want an underrated book, the Transformers to We Are One. Uh, one really shot good. that Nick Roach wrote is hilarious. It is a great, great book. Yes, Future Quest. Future is Quest. Uh, it's one of those things, and I and I appreciate Jeff Parker's sensibility. He brought Batman sixty six to DC. Yeah, this is what this is Jeff's wheelhouse. Yeah, it is his wheelhouse absolutely. Because even with the Batman sixty six, he knows when to have a good joke, but he also knows like, what if we didn't treat the sixties Batman like it was kind of dumb and hokey. And when you look back at sort of the dreams of the better tomorrow that was sort of presented with the idea that science was going to bring to us. and Science. Science, yes. Big, bold letters. Uh, where's and, my jetpack? Yeah, where's my jetpack? And was like, what if what if these ideas weren't very passe? And let's sort of let's sort of roll Ooh, it back and go. Passe. Yeah. Ooh. And let's let's not do a crazy pastiche like the Flintstones Dude, you're is just doing, busting them out. I'm bringing out, I'm bringing out the the thesaurus. The thesaurus is open. Uh, but let's let's actually just take it seriously. What if what if Johnny Quest was going to a South American jungle and meeting with a society? Let's let's treat it like it's not gonna be very silly. And then what happens if they encounter the Herculoids? Or what happens if Space Ghost is brought from his galaxy to Earth? You know, and have some good fun with it. And bring all these properties together because it's very hard to sell just a space ghost book or just yeah. a herculoids book 
I think Future Quest did the right thing in saying, like, what else you got? Let's make it all one universe. It's very hard to... <laughs> Very hard to read Birdman and Blue Falcon though. Yes, after the but you get the, after the Adult Swim series. After you're like, after the Adult Swim series, it's very very hard. It and it's like that doesn't work. It's not working. Blue Falcon who talks like this. Yes, <laughs> it's, like, it's no. Working. It's incredibly. And again, that's sort of that's sort of the thing that as a as a modern audience you have to get used to. It was very hard to watch Doctor Strange without having Doctor Orpheus in my head. <laughs> but that is how pervasive. And well-written things like the Venture Brothers. Oh and yeah, all of Where those sat- adult the, swim the shows. Satire were. and the and the pieces around it are are, are Harvey kind Birdman of Attorney at Law was amazing. Space Ghost oh, Coast God. to Coast. I mean, those shows were so well done, and to have those become so subverting of the original properties that when you watch modern Ooh. takes, you go. It's very. I'm very waiting hard. for Peanut to show up. <laughs> yes, I'm waiting for Peanut to show up, and I know it's like, no, it's not Harvey Birdman Attorney at Law. <laughs> Is that your bird? When are the Jetsons showing up? Can I touch it? Does it bite? <laughs> Peanut. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll crap myself if the Jetsons show up. <laughs> They're probably in the background somewhere. Somewhere. I. You know what? I'm gonna. I'm gonna pay attention even more now because yes. I'll, I'll. I cannot wait to see George Jetson's little hover car. George. Future Quest is uh, Sebastian's kind of underrated pick book that maybe not a lot of people have heard of. Mine is a Marvel title, and I'm going to go with Dennis Hopeless's Spider-Woman. Um, it's really good. Spider-Woman is a great suit. Get rid of the first five issues. The Spider-Verse issues with Greg Land doing the art, pfft, turn them down. Start with, it's either number five or number six. When Javier Rodriguez comes in, they redesign the suit, and she's decided she's going to be a P.I., and then we get to Secret Wars, and you come back from Secret Wars, and you find out that she's pregnant. Yeah. Uh, and that she's eight months pregnant. And... It is a book that is so consistent and so well done in terms of her character, and especially once she becomes a mother, of what life is in the Marvel Universe when you're a superheroine who still feels like she needs to do what she needs to do, but also needs to take care of a little one. Uh, Porcupine Man plays a huge role in this and does so, so well. Um the art's fantastic. Uh, Javier Rodriguez has that David Aha or um, uh, 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 Brian Polito kind of feel to it. Uh, very little line, you know, thin line work that, that's just panel layouts are fantastic. Uh, definitely a book that throughout, you know, there's so many other Spider books that get that get that kind of, of notoriety. Obviously, we have Amazing Spider-Man. We have Spider-Gwen. We have uh, Miles Morales' Spider-Man title. Even Spidey, to a certain degree, the kind of kid-ish book. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Woman gets lost in 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 the shuffle of Silk and Spider-Gwen and the female protagonists within the Spider-Universe. But for me, the best Spider-Title by far. Her relationship with Carol, uh, Carol Danvers, uh, Captain Marvel, is really laid out. You know, it's great, and you see her with her girlfriends and this life that she has, and really the 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 strongest piece of Civil War two that comes out of this is that Jess comes on the other side of Carol, and how she deals with this is the fact that she doesn't believe her best friend, right. that she has a problem with what Carol's doing, and it brings what you're seeing in Civil War two of Carol beating the crap out of Tony and Tony trying to beat the crap out of Carol as this kid's in the middle and these two girls are trying to kill each other to Jess screaming at Carol like, what the f- is wrong with you? How can how can you not see this? It personalizes their their yeah. struggle. So it's worth it if, if you're interested in Civil War II at all in terms of taking some other pieces from it. It's a great book as well. That's my pick for, for the book that kind of is uh, under the radar. So 2016 
we got a lot of titles here. I have a page full of scribbles now because <laughs> of checking everything off. And, you know, this by no means is, is only the stuff that we enjoyed this year. Uh, there's, there's a yeah, lot of it's, other... it's, it's hard to pare down everything to five or six books. Yeah, and we'll get through, you know, obviously if you've listened to our show, you've, you've heard a lot of books that we've, we've liked to a certain degree, uh, a lot of books that we got excited about. And, you know, we, we love, in terms of Rebirth, we're still liking Wonder Woman. Uh, you know, Deathstroke was was a big book for yep. you. Flash is still really good. Um, I'm trying to think of something else. Uh, Hal Jordan, in terms of the Green Lanterns books, uh, Hal Jordan has really held its own. Marvel's got some some stuff up and down. You know, Marvel's going through a bit right now. I think the new Champions book is really good. Mark yeah, Wade's yeah. Avengers book is a, is a really good. Again, you want to talk back to basics in the terms of what DC did with Rebirth. I think Wade has done that with Avengers, having an Avengers book that is you know right now is is Avengers versus Kang, and it's great heroes going on up against one of their classic villains, and it's time craziness and all this fun stuff. It. Um, I'm trying to think of what else we wanted. The, the X Universe, Jeff Lemire's Extraordinary X Men, all new Wolverine. Yeah, with Laura Kinney, yeah. much better. That book could be in the Spider-Man, the Spider-Woman category. A book that maybe not a lot of people are picking up because it's not Logan, uh, but a really, really solid. It's still book. good. Really solid book. Really, really solid book. Old Man Logan. You've got Jeff Lemire and Andrew Sorrentino doing a, a new Logan story. Um, we have uh, uh, the new Hawkeye book. Uh, Jeff Lemire's. I'm um, not Lemire's. Gosh darn it! Who was the one that did Occupy Avengers? Oh my goodness! Yeah, Occupy Avengers is good too. Uh, so there's there's a lot of stuff there. You know, we've got image books, stuff like Snot Girl from Brian Lee O'Malley, which yeah. is really weird and different. Um, we've mentioned the Hanna Barbera books. There's a few Mark Miller books out that are yes. really really good. The Mark Miller books, Huck was was this year, and what did he just release? And he was doing Jupiter's Legacy also, but I thought he had another one as well. He's got Empress. Is another Empress, book. yes, that's the one I was thinking of. If you want a really good sci-fi book, yeah. Stuart Emmerman, who did uh, who did Star Wars for a little while, which oh, I wish he'd go back to Star Wars. He's a great sci-fi artist. Yeah, uh, he's a great artist in the outright, but uh, does a really really good, straightforward, hit him sci-fi book in Empress really really well. Yeah, that was the book I was thinking. Of. I was like, I know there's one more book that I really like from him. Um, so yeah, there's some good sci-fi out there in in, in that uh, in that vein go back and do uh starlight which is in 2016 yeah. but starlight, starlight. One, one of one of the best mark miller books that we've read in a long, oh, long yeah, time yeah. if you love things like john carter and buckaroo Banzai and flash gordon that's the book because you were still here yeah i was gonna i remember we were reading every issue on tuesday when it came out and i was like okay where's the rape it's not in this issue when is yeah. the rape gonna happen it was a very dark time course, for yeah, mark miller it was a very dark time where he said some things that he probably shouldn't have and and yeah, we had a hard time. Like, I hadn't had anything from him for a while that that we really liked. But yeah, around the time of Kick Ass Two and Three, mm-hmm. where things got dark for Mark Miller, and and one Starlight came out, it was a at least for me like a like a another turning point for him where I go like, all right, this is good. I yeah. want more of this Mark Miller and yeah. less of Kick Ass. And that's two what and we three, got. Mark Huck, Chrononauts. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh, Chrononauts was awesome. Chrononauts was really good because it just it was just fun and crazy, and of course you know you have Sean Murphy doing the art. You can't go wrong. Yeah, uh, Chrononauts dinosaurs is one of those books that I want to see become a TV show. It's supposed to be, uh, or it's supposed to be a movie. I think they sold it as a movie. Yeah, they they sold the rights to it, but it's one of those things where it's like, gosh, they just and it's one of those things they're just having fun with time travel. Yeah. Uh, so comic books in 2016 provided us an escape, uh, an escape from the realities of a year that took a lot of. People that we don't know, but we feel we know, or felt we know. Um, of course, we're talking about celebrity deaths. IMDb, a friend of mine sent me something 
IMDb lists almost 200 more celebrity deaths in 2016 and 2015. So when people are saying, no, it's not any different, it's just higher scale, I'm like, no, it's different. Well, so that, There's a lot of people. Oh, South Park, the last time this happened, I think it was 2009 with, you know, a ton, Michael Jackson, Ed McMahon. Yeah, we had a lot of big names in addition to a lot of things. Yeah, so and this, of course, is, this is another one, this is another 2009 in terms yeah. of giant celebrity deaths. Giant celebrity deaths, uh, you know, I said, I don't know what kind of movie and orchestra they're trying to put together in the afterlife but goodness uh and of course this week we lost carrie fisher who had a heart attack or a a cardiac incident or whatever you want to call it as, she was, well, as she she was, was flying, flying back, back from england and um you know we did find that she never regained consciousness and passed away yesterday morning this weekend's uh nerdables will be a lot about carrie um we're recording on a day in which sebastian's not available and we wanted to be able to give sebastian a chance to say what he wanted to say, if there was anything he did want to say, uh, upon her passing, maybe what she meant to him. I mean, we're all kind of in the same, that same demographic or yeah. age. Well, or we also had, we had two, same day, her and uh, Richard, uh, Richard Adams? Yes, Richard Adams. Because I, uh, kept, I kept referring, I, I kept screwing up and saying Douglas Adams. Yeah, Richard, yeah, Richard Adams. Adams. And it, it was this, this, this very morbid joke where it was like, you picked a terrible day to die. Right. Because no one was going to be, you know, in, in terms of the mass culture consciousness, Losing someone like Carrie Fisher is one of the biggest, uh, you know, an iconic role, icon. one of the biggest roles in, in the history of cinema. Um, but before but yeah. we get into that, uh, Richard Adams, writer of Watership Down, a very, very good book, uh, a classic in terms of modern. Book, yeah, an influential book, a, a classic in terms of modern literature. It had an animated film done on it, which is a very hard animated movie to watch if you're a child. And it's yeah, a, a, that's back when they made animated where you're like, what? Like right. Peter S. Spiegel's Last Unicorn, you're like, what? no, that's not, no, that's just in kids? Come on. Uh, no, a fantastic writer who wrote a very, very hard-to-get-through book uh, about life as told through the story of rabbits. Yeah. Uh, so Which, I mean, obviously, it's such a huge genre to do. I mean, yeah. George Orwell's Animal Farm is the same thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's it's it, it, was, it was weird because Carrie Fisher died and then also, like, Watership Down, oh, my God. Uh, the just the two two greats in different respects on the same day, and Carrie Fisher just it it's it's weird. It's it was weird, especially being sort of the outsider. I don't tend to get hit too hard by celebrity deaths, but then like when reading about what happened and watching watching the amount of hope people trying to give off, and the and the media trying to provide uh the nerd culture as it were was was, was yeah, that was the it, hardest part for me a, when it's not a surprise when you kind of know someone yeah it's sick of course on december 25th and christmas day we lost george michael as well we as, did now as people are saying that you know he looked so terrible towards the end he was very uh reclusive for the last few months of yeah. his life yeah. and and you know was probably very sick and didn't want people to see or know we it, uh, let's Alan, bring it back to comics yeah. we have darwin cook who yeah. nobody knew was sick yeah we lost him in in, in the spring yeah, uh, Alan Rickman, another person who who was suffering apparently for quite some time, and in the last few months got married in secret to his longtime girlfriend of several decades. Uh, yeah, and uh, and and then to then to, to cap it off with Carrie Fisher, and uh, and then uh, Debbie Reynolds just had a stroke. Yes, today. So so someone, back to someone's back coming on that. for the Fisher family. Yeah, somebody find Billy Lord and like put her in a bubble. So it's uh, absolutely fascinating. To, yeah, and to we did lose we did happen. lose some people through through comics. Was well of course the biggest one being being Darwin Cook. Um, I think just one of the big 
the big stories of the year was losing someone like Darwin. Yeah. Um, we both attended the panel at San Diego Comic-Con, which, uh, you know, Jimmy Palmati's probably never going to listen to this, but handled one of the most difficult things I could ever see anybody do in a panel and did it so well. Yeah. Uh, he was at uh, Stanley's Comic-Con. You want professional... We went to Stanley's Comic Con on Friday night, where it was like four hours yeah. or whatever. Artist Alley is all but empty. Creator, nobody there. Jimmy Palmati, Amanda Connor, there, yeah. signing books, doing all. And I was, I, I was tempted to stand in line. I didn't want to bring him down. Stand, stand in line and just say, "I attended your panel for Darwin Cook. That was hell. Yeah. That's that's a, oh, that's, I, a, that's, I, a that's a that's a that's a s job." And you did it masterfully well with the people that were up there. Yeah. Um, in terms of what we've seen from a general public, in terms of the outpouring of, of love and remembrance for Carrie Fisher, that's what we saw in the community for Darwin Cook. Yeah. Darwin Cook was an a-hole, but he was a great a-hole. Right. He was somebody who people loved. Well, he's a guy who in the could, industry loved. It, when he's the kind of person, uh, despite the many stories about him, but just in the industry in general, that when you said put your money where your mouth is he was the person to go okay let's do this and then and then very true to himself great work you know as someone who was true to himself also helped yes he was he was a master an artistic master a storytelling master we'll put it that way writer uh an, an illustrator someone who could do so much with so little um and final frontier just will be a seminal work for years and the way that people now talk about Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen and, and, and the books that kind of define that sort of mid-80s, I think. Right. Final Frontier is going to be there. Kingdom Come... New Frontier, excuse me, Final Frontier. Uh, New Frontier will, will be in that that Kingdom Come and Marvels and Watchmen of that self-retrospective yeah. type of piece. Um, so, yeah, I think just in, in the vein of, of, of losing Carrie Fisher this week, you yeah. know, we kind of bring it back in terms of comics. If someone... We don't want to forget some of the people that we lost right. in the comic book world, especially someone like Darwin. Cook. And it's easy to forget with, uh, especially with Carrie Fisher. Everybody immediately goes to Princess Leia. She was recently featured in Rogue One at the the very very end sort of. Of, of the film, <laughs> sort of. Uh, but uh, apparently, she did finish off her work for Episode Eight. Yeah. Although Episode Nine is probably going to have to go through massive rewrites, or they will just do a digital version of General Organa, yeah. which well, is. Which is something that uh, the people higher up the chain than us, to say the least, will make the decision on. But uh, yeah. she was in Blues Brothers. Yeah, you kind of forget all the other stuff. And of course, we'll cover many, so much of this stuff. Of... Many years on a Family Guy playing Peter Griffin's boss at the brewery. That's right. I forgot she did this. So, uh, and the on. reason I would forget that is I wouldn't know because yeah. I don't watch Family Guy. But it's one of those things where... <laughs> There's some people I really, really love who are on a show I really, really don't like. <laughs> having uh having what's his face who plays joe uh why can't patrick i remember patrick warbird i love patrick warbird why is he on that show uh not a family guy fan unfortunately no and that's fine but it was one of those things where i where it like the character is so is prevalent you know she always gets like a featured episode i think almost once a season with yeah. just the character and it's one of those weird things where go like Oh, right. I forgot that was Carrie Fisher. Yeah, there's a point, and I think it was a couple of years. It might have been last year. It might have even been this year when I was doing the kind of like, we want to wish Carrie, for, Carrie Fisher a happy birthday and started to look through her bio and the amount of stuff. We knew she was a fairly prolific screwwriter. We had no idea how much stuff she was uncredited on. Um, and I think the one, the thing I want to leave with is is search out. There's a, there's a photo that's been going through. I can't remember who tweeted it. 
And it's a picture of her handwritten notes for her script of Empire. And it's the scene in the cockpit after, uh, I think it's after they escape the asteroid, right? Right, it's the uh, Lando system. Yeah, the Lando system. uh, Confusion. And you'll you'll see the original script in black and you'll see a bunch of things in red. And I think... In in a, in a smaller sense that reveals the bigger sense, the stuff in red is what was on the screen, and the stuff in red is what remains, and all the black is gone. Right. So we've lost someone who I know I've had a very hard time with it. And again, we'll talk more about this on Saturday uh, when we record our our, our main broadcast. Uh, so yeah, gonna end on a downer note, but that's 2016 for you. Um, it's been fun. We've been doing this for a few months. We started 2016. We're going to go into 2017. It's actually a lot of books this week. It's a huge final week. Oh, yeah. Uh, we have Civil War 2, number 8. Uh, 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 Dark Knight, number 7. Dark Knight 3. The Master Race, number 7. We have new number ones from Marvel for Hulk, which is uh, uh, She-Hulk, which is gray. Uh, Racket Raccoon, as they continue the Grounded storyline. Uh, Saga was supposed to come out this week, <laughs> but it'll be out next week because it got printed wrong. Uh and this week also, we want to mention uh, Love is Love, which is a collection series from um, IDW, IDW and DC, which benefits the victims of the Pulse uh, nightclub shooting in Orlando. Major, huge names in it, and we're proud to say this. There's a lot of people that we know uh, from from the store that are in it as well. One of our former, uh, one of our former uh, co-workers and her husband are in it. Uh, Ashley and Jason do a story in it, and you have names... Grant Morrison's in it, Jim Lee, Dan DiDio, Brian Michael Bendis, uh, Jason Aaron. Just keep going on the list. It's a lot of stuff. It's nine ninety nine. It's a lot of great little pieces. It's a trade that are in it. Yeah, it's a trade. They, they did it as a trade, um, but it's it's a pretty thick trade, and it's got a lot of great stories in it. We did want to mention it before we go. It's our pick of the week in both stores, and we think it's fantastic. Uh, for the final time in two thousand sixteen, for my partner Sebastian, this is Chris, and we will see you or talk to you next year.